All right. If you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2? And if you don't have a Bible, you can uh, lean forward and grab the one underneath the chair in front of you. If you use one of our Bibles, we'll be looking on page 1276. Going to read Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, as we continue our sermon series called By His Son on the uh, letter to the Hebrews. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we have seen such wonderful things about you and your Son as we have entered into this letter to the Hebrews. And uh, we come this morning to um, a challenging passage. So we just feel our desperate need for you even more. Uh, We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to see the truth that you have revealed to us through this passage. We pray that you will help us see what we can do to apply what is written here to our lives. Let us uh, bow before you, Lord Jesus, recognize your greatness and your majesty and what you've done for us and how we should respond. We pray that you would use this time, Lord, particularly to strengthen our faith and and for those who don't know you, Lord, that you would right now bring them to yourself in faith. And use this time, Lord, that we might know you more and, and grow in faith and be better able and equipped and excited to continue to make disciples for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Probably studied in history class the sinking of the Lusitania. You remember that? It happened on May 7th, 1915. It's definitely something you usually come across in your history books. And what happened was a German submarine or a German U-boat torpedoed a British ocean liner called the Lusitania. And as soon as the torpedo hit, rocked this uh, ocean liner, everybody began to scramble, as you can imagine. They frantically were uh, getting life jackets and getting into the lifeboats. And it is recorded that someone cried out, saw the captain on the deck and cried out, Captain, what should we do? And apparently, Captain William Thomas Turner said, just stay where you are. She's all right. 
as if to tell them that the ship was going to be fine, that it wasn't going to sink. And so this word spread throughout all the, the people on board. The captain says the ship's not going to sink. The captain says the ship's not going to sink. So people get excited and they get out of the lifeboats. Now, what's interesting is the captain really had no reason whatsoever to give such assurance. They think maybe he was trying to keep people calm or maybe it was just this dug down deep belief there's nothing that can sink this ship. But in the end, the Lusitania did sink. And of the over 1,900 people on board, only just over 700 survived. So 1,100 people did not make it that day. Uh, And largely because so many of them had gotten back out of the lifeboats. So what had happened? What had happened is they heard what they wanted to hear, but they didn't hear what they needed to hear. They didn't hear a true, accurate warning of the reality of the situation. And so here we are, we're moving through the book of Hebrews. We spent the last three weeks glorying in what we see in chapter 1. And we come to the first of five warnings that we find in the book of Hebrews. This is one of the reasons that Hebrews is a challenging book. There are these five warnings that actually kind of grow in intensity as we come across them. And there are real warnings to you and to me. Now, this first warning is going to come about because of what we've already studied, right? Because of what we've seen in chapter 1. Where the last few weeks we've been celebrating and seeing how God, God's ultimate revelation of who He is is in the person and work of His Son. He has shown us who He is. He has shown us how we need His salvation and how He has come to save us. He's revealed to us His Son, that His Son is eternal. He's fully divine. But He also became fully man so that He might die in our place, paying for our sins, providing permanent purification of our sins. He's revealed to us that His Son has been with Him throughout all eternity. He's the co-creator of all things. He's gloriously ruling and reigning over all things. And that after He came and provided that purification for sins, which we desperately need, He he was risen from the dead. God exalted Him to the right hand of the majesty on high, proving that what Jesus had done really did provide the purification that we need. We know that we receive the salvation through faith in Him. Not by what we do, but only through faith in Him. And really, he's, he's laid out the gospel, right? He's laid out the good news of the gospel. God is gracious. God has sent His Son to save us. He's revealed who He is. He's revealed how we can be saved. The only way we can be saved, He's revealed the gospel. And it's after that, right after this beautiful display of who the Son of God is and what He's done, that's when we come to this first warning. And the first warning is very simple. Do not neglect the gospel. Do not neglect the gospel. Okay? Because it is only through believing the gospel that we receive the salvation. So, we're going to talk about this in three ways. What the author does is he, he calls us to pay attention. And then he talks about how the past is prologue. Talk about what that means. 
And then he reminds us that there's plenty of evidence. All of these things reminding us, calling us, warning us, do not neglect the gospel, what God has revealed about himself in the person and work of his son. So let's take a look at verse 1. If you're new or a guest with us, we just walk right through. So please keep your Bibles open. And uh, looking at verse 1, the first thing we've got to recognize that it just starts right off the bat. It's, right, it's hard to handle. But what we see is that our, our natural tendency is to drift away from God and the gospel. That's what naturally happens. Okay, uh, Take a look. Verse 1, he says, Therefore... We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. In other words, what they've, what they've just heard in chapter 1. Lest we drift away. Okay. And what he's getting at is because of the magnitude of what God has revealed about Jesus, we absolutely have to pay attention to what we've heard. We have to pay attention, focus on these things. And that word pay attention is uh, it's a word of action. It's an activity, right? And it literally means to continually turn the mind to something. Okay, that's what it means to pay attention. That we need to continually turn our mind to something. Continually turn our mind and our heart to something, to the gospel. And it's just, you know, logical. If we need to keep turning our hearts and minds back to the gospel, back to what God has revealed about himself and his son, then... It tells us that by nature we will actually wander. We will stop thinking about it. We will stop cherishing it in our hearts. Now, this isn't all that familiar. I mean, we sing this quite a bit. When we sing, O Come Thou Font, we sing this, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That's what we're saying. I feel it, right? I feel that I drift. I feel that I, my heart wanders. And so what do we do? We pay attention. We, we keep turning to him. Here's my heart. Here's my heart. Here's my heart. That's what faith leads us to do, to keep paying attention, realizing that if we don't actively keep our hearts and minds on the gospel, we will drift that word drift away is interesting. Uh, it's, it's kind of a, a nautical term. Uh, it literally means to, to flow past, okay? to drift away, slip away. It's, it's translated in other places in the Bible, the losing sight. Now here's what, what's really challenging about this. Uh, the way it's presented is that drifting is actually something that is not something we notice. It's subtle. It's undetectable. In other words, we kind of like a boat that is not tied up to the dock begins to kind of drift away. People on board might not even realize that it's happening. It's that kind of mentality. And you know, you, you've probably experienced this, the way the water does this, the way the ocean does this you know, at the beach. Now, we go through this a lot when, when we go to the beach. We have to tell our kids that you need to go out into the water, you know, because we're not going <laughs> And um, when you go out into the water and mom and dad are sitting for a while, uh, you have to keep turning back and looking. Look for our shade tent. Okay. Or look for mom's chair. I bought Hannah this sweet, sweet zebra print chair. It's lying, got pink lining. She lo- Don't ask to borrow it. She loves it, man. It's visible, though. And so, you know, we tell our kids when you're in the water, you got to keep looking 
You got to pay attention to where we are. Because what happens if they don't? They're playing. They're having fun. And without even realizing, they're drifting, drifting, drifting. There's a current. It's so subtle. And so I say, when I see them getting far away, I say, hey, come back. Right? That's, that's our hearts. The natural tendency of our heart. The damage done to us in the fall is we drift. Okay? So we have to pay attention. We have to pay attention. We have to keep turning our hearts and minds to the good news of the grace of God and the gospel. And Richard Phillips summarizes this really well. It's a long quote, but listen to this. What is paying attention? He says, we must remember and organize our thoughts around the Bible's message every day of our lives. We need to remember humanity's fall in sin and the corruption that remains within us. We need to recall what the Bible teaches about God's character, his faithfulness and power, his wisdom and love. We need to be told about his holiness and what an offense our sin is to him. Then we need to look at the cross and see God's mercy so wonderfully displayed, remembering that we have been purchased as a new and holy people, never more to dwell in sin. We need to daily ground our identity, one, in God's adoption of us as his beloved children, two, in Christ's blood that has shed, in Christ's blood that was shed to purchase us from sin, and three, in our destiny as co-heirs with Christ and as saints called to glory, but also as pilgrims sojourning through an alien and dying world in some We need to pay closer attention to the message of God's word. It is like a firm anchor to hold us fast in salvation, like a compass to guide us safely. Pay attention. So how do we do that practically? This is, you know, one of the reasons that we really encourage and try to equip people to have a daily devotional life so that you have this regular rhythm where you're paying attention to who the Lord God is and what He's done for you in Christ. That's why we try to encourage and equip families for family worship, that families gather together and pay attention, keep turning their hearts and minds to the truth of the mercy of God in the gospel. That's why we encourage and try to equip you for regular worship Attendance. It's why we try to equip you and encourage you to be involved in a life group. It's why we study theology, right? It's why we study what the Bible is teaching. Jack was talking about how we're going through the Heidelberg Catechism. And yes, some of it's pretty heavy stuff, right? But that's part of what God has revealed. That's part of paying attention. We need to be reminded of those things. Okay? Through these different things, that's how we pay attention. That's how God keeps his grip on us. We avoid drifting away. You see, neglecting the gospel, here's the thing, that neglecting the gospel is really a form of rejecting it. Neglecting the good news, the grace of God, is really a form of rejecting it. If we're not actively paying attention to it, if we're not actively turning our hearts and minds to it regularly, we're in a sense, we're really ignoring him. It's almost as if we're just saying we don't care. And there's a terrible problem with that, to not have an interest in the things of God, to not care. And the problem is that the past is prologue. The past is prologue. Take a look at verse 
2 and 3. Past is prologue. If you're a Shakespeare fan, you know that is from a Shakespeare play. But what it means, the past is prologue, is it means that what's happened in the past is predictive of what's ha- going to happen in the future. If you want to know what's going to happen in the future, you look to the past. And that's what the author is getting at here in verse 2 and 3. He's acknowledging that basically people who ignore what God has revealed about himself, about his amazing mercy, end up suffering the consequences of those who reject the grace of God. Now take a look, verse 2. He says, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And what he's getting at is the Old Testament is absolutely filled with these different stories of people who claim to be among God's chosen people on earth, the nation of Israel, yet by and large ignored him, did not respond to him in obedience, as if they simply just didn't believe him. It's interesting, that word transgression, uh, it's, it's a word that means sin, it means, it means, means going beyond the bounds that have been set, okay? Uh, ignoring the boundaries and just going beyond. That's kind of the, the uh, mindset. The, the word disobedience is from a term that originally signified a refusal to hear. I just, I'm not going to listen. And what the author is saying is that God had revealed to his people uh, things all through the Old Testament and it proved to be reliable in the way that God not only revealed his mercy and his grace and his kindness to them, but he also revealed the fact that if they reject him, then he would treat them as they deserved, according to their sin. Because the only way God saves people, Old Testament, New Testament, is through faith. True faith. So as people live, as they lived in the Old Testament, like they didn't believe, in fact, their their way they lived exposed their unbelief. And God always followed through on the discipline or the judgment. And one of the things that's interesting, you know, it's, it's a mistake to say that God was angry in the Old Testament and he's, he's nice in the New Testament. The only way you can say that is if you're not really familiar with the Old Testament. You see the unbelievable patience and grace and mercy of God in both Testaments. I'll give you an example. Now, one of the times which God clearly uh, called his people to something and they just flat out said no was when he let them to the promised land and they're on the, the the edge of the promised land basically and he's calling them to go in they sent in these spies in numbers 13 you might be familiar with this the spies come back and they're like we, sh- we can't go we don't want to go but god said well you go ahead just just go but they did refuse and so god speaks to moses in numbers 14 11 and he says how long will this people despise me and how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've done among them. And he's talking about how he parted the Red Sea so they could get out of Egypt. He provided manna in the wilderness so they wouldn't go hungry. All these different things that he had done to demonstrate his love and his mercy and his grace and his care for them time and time and time and time again. Yet they just kept disobeying. They just kept not listening. A little later in that chapter, he Moses basically pleads with God not to just destroy them. And he ends up saying this in verse 21. God says, but truly... As I live, 
And as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land I swore to give their fathers and none of those who despise me shall see it. I'm sorry, did he say ten times? So patient. But true to his word that those who reject him will face the consequences of rejecting his grace, rejecting his mercy. If they ignored God, if they, the people in the Old Testament, many of them, if they ignored God and refused to listen to him and they suffered the consequences, then what the author is saying, well, how in the world can we expect to have had the son of God revealed to us the good news of the gospel? How can we expect To not suffer the same things if we ignore it. If we neglect this great salvation. In other words, saving faith takes the gospel seriously. Takes the gospel seriously. Believes it's true. Then it impacts our entire life. And here's the interesting thing. He's talking now, the author of Hebrews, he's writing to a church. He's writing to people who profess to believe notice when he says we must pay attention he says we must pay attention even including himself in that right the past is prologue god has always been unbelievably gracious but those who reject it reject it and then they face those consequences now a couple things let me tell you what i'm not saying And what the scriptures are not saying. I'm not saying that we cannot have assurance of salvation. The Bible makes very clear that we can know that we have eternal life. You see that in 1 John 5 5 explicitly. I'm also not denying the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. All that God has ordained to eternal life will persevere through this life in faith to the end. Paul says so. Philippians 1.6 I am sure that God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So we're not denying the perseverance of the saints. I'm not saying that we're saved by works. No way. Cut my tongue out if I ever do. The Bible's abundantly clear on that. Paul says, no one will be justified, declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. No one. What I'm trying to do is disabuse us of some of the popular conceptions and formulations of things that are deeply unbiblical and which have... The net effect of giving false assurance to people who really have no business feeling safe and secure. Because the bottom line is, will you hear hear me on this? Hear me on this, please. Anyone who claims to be a Christian but totally disregards God's law, refuses to listen to him, You need to understand that that is a rejection of the grace of God. You are rejecting him. You need to be warned. This is what you need to hear. Don't reject him. And so maybe you're, maybe 
you know, a lot of us, I, I know that so many of us, I know many, many of us here really do have assurance of salvation. We know we know the Lord, but maybe you are realizing that you have not really taken the gospel all that seriously. Maybe you're realizing that you need to get much more serious about the Lord. Maybe you're, what you're feeling is that, that call from God to you today to repent, to turn away from a life of not really taking this Christianity thing seriously and being real about it and believing that we're talking about heaven and hell and eternity. And repent, turn away from these things where we're downgrading or downplaying the importance of the gospel and believe him. He's so gracious. Receive that grace. Cling to that grace. Pay attention to that grace. Start taking things seriously. Nothing in your life is as as important as this is. Nothing. He's calling you. He's your father saying, you're getting too far away. Come back. Get here with me where you're safe. Stop drifting. And I would say, if that's where your heart is at, oh, praise the Lord, if that's where your heart is at. So do something. Do something today. Maybe it's coming and talking to me or one of the other pastors or elders and saying, I need to, I need to get serious about Jesus. Teach me how to do that. We have people who will disciple you, who will teach you how to do that. Maybe it's a step of saying, look, I'm going to start being at worship every week. I'm going to see that turning my heart and mind to the gospel and worship of the risen, exalted Christ is what I need on Sunday mornings. Maybe it's realizing you can't do this alone. You need community. You need people that can help you, remind you to pay attention. Pay attention. Maybe that's getting into a life group. Whatever it is, if God is moving on your heart, do something. Do something. He's he's, he's saying to you, he's, he's calling to you. The other thing he says that's tough is that there's plenty of evidence, okay? Past his prologue, we know that if we reject God's grace, then we don't get it. Um, But also, there's plenty of evidence of it. Look at verse 3b and 4. He says, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Here's what he's talking about. God has given sufficient evidence for us to believe. In other words, it's not a lack of evidence that's at the real issue here. The author's talking about how all through redemptive history we see the way that God has a pattern. Okay, there's a pattern. When God reveals things, remember how we talked about in the Old Testament, it's all progressive. It's all moving toward the ultimate revelation of who God is in the person and work of his son. And what... The author's getting at is that God has this pattern of revealing things we need to know, and then he empowers people to do these miraculous things to strengthen that, to help us believe. Right? These miracles, this is why Jesus did all these different miracles, turning water into wine or raising Lazarus from the dead. The apostles then also were given the ability to do amazing things, healing people. Paul also raised somebody from the dead. Who, by the way, got bored in a sermon and fell out the window and died. (laughs) Acts 20. I can't do what Paul could do, so. (laughs) But there's a pattern, right? There's a pattern, a pattern. He reveals and then boom, boom, boom. These amazing things happen so that we can see it. But here's the thing. Sometimes we want to say, look, if God would just do some of that right now in front of me, be all set, be all in. Not really. Lots of people saw miracles and did not believe. These people 
when he says that these things were attested to us who heard, he's talking about how they heard everything from the apostles who heard it from the Lord. It was first declared by the Lord. Then it was attested to us by those who heard. He's saying the apostles who heard it directly from the Lord came to them. And when they came to them, they attested the message by miracles, these different things. And yet still, the author has to issue this warning. Do not neglect the gospel. So it's really not a matter of more evidence. It all comes down to whether or not we are going to get serious if we're not. And be willing to call others to do the same. Well, let's say you're um, shaken. God's word does that. And you are realizing you do need to do something. You want to do something. You want to pay attention. You want to get back where you are safe with the Lord. And I want to tell you, you've got to remember, your natural instinct is going to be to not. It's going to be to back away. God is saying, break through that. Break through that and get serious. Do what it takes. Interesting story. Uh, read a story about a mountaineer, mountain climber named Joe Simpson. And um, it, it comes from a, a memoir that he wrote called Touching the Void. And um, let me just read this little passage from somebody who's writing about Joe Simpson, this mountain climber. The author says, thousands of feet up the side of Ciula Grande Mountain. Joe's safety line got cut, uh, leaving Joe to slide with a broken leg into a deep crevasse. Okay, so he's climbing a mountain, his safety line breaks, and he, he breaks his leg and he slides deep into a crevasse. You know what a crevasse is? It's a massive cavern. Uh, after several desperate attempts to climb up and out of the crevasse, he was faced with the fact that his injury made it impossible. He just knew it. There's no way he's ever going to climb up and out. And so, against all survival instinct, he made the excruciating choice to lower himself deeper into the crevasse in the hope that there would be other exits farther down. I mean, can you imagine? And all the while, he's thinking, am I lowering myself to freedom or to just deeper into the belly of the earth? Does a ray of sunlight await me in the pit showing a way out into the day or is there only darkness and then slow death? With every inch that he lowered himself further and further into the darkness of this crevasse, he edged farther and farther from the obvious way out, which would be to climb, which he knew he couldn't do. Now, here's the crazy thing. Um, He made the right choice. You know why? Because I'm reading the memoir about it. (laughs) He does this unthinkable thing, right? Go down into the unknown, into the scariest of the scaries, in hopes that there's a way out. And there was. If you are not serious, if you've taken Jesus casually up to this point, I know that to get serious looks like a deep, dark crevasse. What is down there? But I also know from experience, if you go, you find out that at the bottom, 
There is light. You find out that he is the way, the truth, and the life. You find out he is the way waiting for you this whole time. And the way that you do it is you think of the cross, right? How do you go into the deep darkness? You think of the cross and the darkness that Jesus lowered himself down into, not because he was hoping there was a way out, but because he knew there wasn't. And that by doing that, by him descending into the darkest of dark and receiving the wrath of God onto him so that it could be paid for in full, he sets us free from that sin, purification for Ever, and we think about that, you think about that, that's, he's the one calling you, come on, come on down, I'm down here. And he's there, and you find him, and he changes you forever. So pay attention! And live. Let's pray. Father, So many of us know you. I mean, we know you, know you, know you, and we cannot thank you enough. And I know that there's probably people in this room who are wrestling with whether or not they really know you and they're wrestling with whether or not they really believe in you and they're wrestling because you, they hear you. Are they they hearing you? Let them hear you calling them forward. Don't let them reject your grace. Let them embrace it and let them do something to begin more and more of a life of paying attention and reveling in the glory that is the finished work of Christ and the promises of the gospel. And let myself and everyone at this church who knows you be resources, allies, friends, to help them along the way. And we pray this for your glory and for our joy in the name of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Amen.